Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Guess who's back? Your boys from Bustin' Loose Baseball. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, producer Darius Dameron. We got a lot to talk about. Some news this offseason. How about it? The hot stove is heating up. Nationals, draft lottery. Last night, we know where they're picking. Plus, they've got a potential new starter in the corner infield. Trey Turner's on the move back to the NL East. A lot going on in Major League Baseball. We'll cover it all right now on Bustin' Loose Baseball. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Grant, Danny, and Darris on the production. We appreciate you guys making the show part of your routine. We told you when there is some worthy news this offseason, we're going to break it down for you. And that was certainly the case last night. The MLB draft lottery was held for the first time. The Nationals had a 16% chance of getting the first pick, a 19% chance of picking as low as number seven. And I thought things worked out okay for them. We can go through the lottery and some of the rules and the quirks and some of the things I don't like about the draft lottery. But it was really good tension and drama. It was pretty good television. It was a made-for-TV event with Mike Rizzo and a bunch of executives sitting in a small room waiting to find out where they were going to pick. First time baseball's ever done this. And Danny, the Nationals will have the second pick in the MLB draft. So I'm with you, actually, on the the intrigue of it. It added some spice, right? I mean, Major League Baseball hasn't had something like this before. Obviously, this is the first one, the inaugural version of it. And it was actually, as you said, there was tension, and I found myself kind of entertained and ready for kind of a stomach punch. And it worked out as good as it possibly could have. We're almost as good at, obviously, if they'd gotten the one pick, it would have been better. But you think of teams like the Oakland A's, for example, that had the second-best odds or third-best odds, whatever they were, is the second-worst record, and they got bumped out. Um, And I I think, ultimately, they can't pick in the top 
uh, six next year, which so worst case scenario, right? So there's some tweaks that I would like to see, but the general principle of it, I don't think is the craziest thing in the world. But the the extremes that they're going to avoid a team taking their time and rebuilding soundly is kind of comical at this point. I think it's an overcorrection and overreaction, really from the players' side of things. They were just so fed up with. You know, veterans not getting you know bad contracts from, from some of these teams that they're doing everything they possibly can to make it really really hard for teams to do anything other than sign an aging veteran over giving a young player a chance for a team that's rebuilding. But yeah, so the Nets end up second. It, as you said, it could have been a lot worse. A huge percentage chance that they would fall way worse than their record. Uh, you know, the number one worst record in the in Major League Baseball last year. Going second, I think it could have gone a lot worse. Definitely. 15.6% chance of getting the second pick came home with that lottery ball bouncing their way. They had about a 32% chance of being in the top two that came to fruition. You know, you hate to be the A's, who are the second-worst team in baseball, and fell out of the top three. You know, they had a 16% chance to get the number one pick, and, you know, they fell down the board, obviously. Uh, But the Nationals picked two, and and this is kind of how I felt going in. Best-case scenario, they were going to get the number one pick. They would pick... Of all the players in the country, they get to dictate terms on this draft. Whoever they want, they get. That's ideal. Everyone can understand that's the number one best case. The second best is that they pick second for obvious reasons, right? And one, it sounds dumb to say that because it's the number two pick. But really, it's also, to me, based on this draft class. I mean, there are going to be more than two really high-end players. I think there's already you know, the potential, you could say, for a a three-horse race for the top pick in the draft maybe because you've got a prep bat who's emerged to go along with two college stars. But for me, with the Nats build and where they're at and how many high school bats they've now suddenly got coming uh, and they're developing at the low levels versus some of the major league-ready pitching talent where there's still a hole, I think, in the system, You know, I would really like to see them go the college route to get someone to the majors quicker to help them to actually put some butts in some seats and get better at the big league level where they're no longer spending at all. And for that reason, I think there's two elite-level college talents in this class at this point. Dylan Cruz of LSU, the outfielder, and Chase Dollander, the right-handed pitcher from Tennessee, who looks like he separated himself for now as the best college pitcher in the country. And it's silly to start talking about the draft and prospects. Sure, so much happens, yeah. So much baseball. Who knows? His arm could could fall off or... You know, Cruz could could tear something. and I mean, there's so many things that could happen. They could end up picking someone who's 10th on everybody's board right now because they have this meteoric, unbelievable season. But my point going into the lottery was, in this draft, and this was based on talking to some people in baseball and, and even a person with the Nationals, you know, it would make a lot of sense for them to be one or two to get a guy that they really, really might like or to fall out of the top six altogether. Because you mentioned some of the quirks that aren't cool about this process. If you don't pick in the top six, you are eligible to do that in the upcoming season. However, if you have a top six pick this year, you can't have a top six pick next year. And I can't stress to you how much I hate this for a rebuilding team like the Nats, who once went back-to-back with number one overall after 100 losses two straight years, and they went and they got uh, Bryce Harper after Steven Strasburg. But now that's not possible. That can't happen. So if you're going to pick in the top six, you you got, you got to get your money's worth, one or two. You know, in this draft, worst case scenario, probably three. The fourth or the fifth or the sixth pick would have been a disaster, in my opinion, because then the earliest you're picking next year is seven. Whereas, okay, you, you get the second pick, earliest you pick next year is seven, but hey, 
at least, Danny, you're going to pick in the top two this year. So it worked out fine, but it doesn't change the fact that I kind of hate this system already. Yeah, the principle of it, I again, I, I get it. I know how we got here, but I the word I've used with, with friends who kind of, and I will fully admit this, GP, I sort of wasn't as plugged into this draft lottery process as I should have been. I just kind of uh, sort of blindly assumed, yeah, the Nationals are, you know, they finish with the worst record, but there's a lottery. They'll get a top three pick. That wasn't guaranteed at all. In fact, as you correctly said, there was a better chance of them getting pick seven than there was of pick one, and that kind of defeats the purpose to me um, in general principle. But I, I see this entire process as a massive overcorrection, overreaction, et cetera. I want to tweak things, do away with some of the rules. I'm I'm perfectly fine living in a world with a draft lottery. I get it. I get the principle. You don't want to just blindly reward a team for, you know, purposefully one way or another fielding an inferior product. You know, you don't want to give them too great of a, of a reward. Fine. General principle. I, I understand that. But these quirks, like the ones we're talking about here, where you can't pick top six for two straight years, again, what what more effective way was there for the Nationals to go Strasburg, Harper, Rendon, yeah, World Series several years later, and and great playoff runs, and you know really excellent competitive teams. There's nothing wrong with that strategy. In fact, it's very very good. <laughs> you know, like, so that's one of those things that I, I I wish would be tweaked a little bit. But again, I see this as I think veteran players who govern and run the players' association. You know, and and just given the way the the landscape has changed of the you know, decade, last decade plus, where everybody's doing kind of their own version of what Billy Billy Bean sort of, inve- I don't want to say invented, but, you know, implemented there in Oakland was to make a low payroll competitive. People figured out very quickly, if you spend one-tenth of the salary and get 65, 70% of the production, you're better off. You are, you, you all, over the long haul, over the six years of controllability that you have with a young baseball player, you are 100% a better, more competitive team than you would be for paying the premium of a free agent who's earned a service time, who's earned the right to make a huge contract, to, to have a huge deal, than, you know, a team like the Minnesota Twins or the Tampa Bay Rays or, or a number of these other groups that have been competitive at times simply cannot afford to miss on a contract. I used to say this all the time. I remember uh, when the Yankees had you know two, three times the payroll of, of some of these other teams before some of these corrections were made. The Yankees, if if Kevin Brown doesn't turn out, they'll just get the next guy. If the Twins go, okay, we're all in. This is our player, and he's bad. Whoever that he is, that's it. They can't compete. They're done for however you know the length of that contract till they can get out of it. So I understand some of the the paths of how we got here, but this just feels to me like a little bit overwrought, a little bit too much of a correction. Yeah, and I know this is an unpopular opinion and that people don't like when I say this, and, and that's fine. Um, we can disagree on this. The majority of baseball fans feel like uh, they call it tanking. You know, tanking is this awful, terrible, gross, disgusting thing, and I just call it building, and I think teams should be able to build however they want to. And if teams want to wear it for four or five years, not getting a gate, not getting a turnout, losing fans from their fan base to other fan bases, then they should be allowed to do that if if it's a means to an end. Now, now obviously, if they're doing a bad job building, then that can take a long, long time. But see the Orioles. You, the Orioles shouldn't be allowed to do what they just did. Uh, that's horse crap. Of course they should be allowed. Mike Elias did it in Houston very successfully, by the way. They get to the World Series more often than not now, and they're in the LCS every single year because of how they built their organization correctly from the ground up. Now he's doing the same thing in Baltimore, and I promise you they're going to make a bunch of playoff appearances in a row, and I promise you they're going to get to a World Series in the next several years with all the bites at the apple that they've got coming. 
They'll probably get to a couple and they'll probably win one. They're doing it in a way that is smart. But whether you agree that it's smart or not, or that it's nice to the fans or it isn't, I guess I would say two things. One, they should be allowed to do it however they want to do it. They should be. That's number one. And number two, ask their fans now how they feel. Ask their fans this past season how much fun they had. Ask them in five years after they've made uh, the playoffs five years in a row and they've made the LCS three times and they've been to the World Series twice how they feel. Ask Nats fans who were here for the run from 12 to 19 for nine seasons of top of the National League baseball, what that was like. Because guess what? It was made possible by the crappy years before that where the team strategically picked at the top of the board and got the best players. And people love saying, well, you're not going to see these guys for five years. Number one, that's not true. That's antiquated thinking, and it's it's just straw man nonsense. Sometimes players get to the big leagues in a calendar year now. More often than not, they're there really quickly. If they draft, because I think what's going to happen is at number one overall, the Pirates are going to take Dylan Cruz, okay, the LSU outfielder. At number two, they'll take Chase Dollander from, from Tennessee. If they draft that guy, there is a chance he's starting in the big leagues uh, the following calendar year. In Maybe other words, September call-up for a bullpen stand or something, or, or, innings-wise. I mean, honestly, yeah. he could pitch in the big league sooner. Now, I'm not saying they'll do that. I'm not, it's up to the team. But he could get big league outs. I mean, he checks so many boxes. He projects well. He's, he's produced. He's you know The performance has been great. He's an analytics darling. Hopefully, that, that doesn't <laughs> make them not take him. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, really, this is kind of what you dream about at the top of the draft is a pitcher. And we'll see. If the stars align and he's still that guy and he's still healthy when the draft comes around, which is a big deal. But my point is, Danny, you know, it's annoying to me. And and obviously as a Nats fan, I'm a little biased in this. But they're going into this period where this is how you get good now. If you're not going to spend, I can't make the learners spend any money, okay? I can't force them to bring in veterans who are good at high dollars. What I can do is pick high in the draft and ideally hit on some of these picks, which, by the way, and you'll hear from Barry Sverluga, we did an interview with him on our D.C. show, Grant and Danny, and we're going to post that at the end of this podcast because it was really good and it's relevant. He mentioned this. I mean, they got to hit on picks, dude. Yeah. Like, at some point, they got to hit on picks. Now, here's the good news. They're starting to pick high again. When They used to hit on picks at six with Rendon, at one, obviously, with Harp, at one with Strauss. It's easier to do that. You know, when they were picking in the bottom of the first round, mid-first round, they struggled a lot more on those picks. Fetty in the 20s. Giolito at 16. They did flip for Eaton, obviously, to help win a World Series. But at number two, you can't miss. Like, you got to get that pick right. Yeah. Elijah Green in the top five, you got to get that pick right. It's got to pan out. I mean, the, we, this has been one of the themes, I think, of us doing Bust and Lose Baseball. And, and that's been they haven't had – the reinforcements. They haven't had the help. I mean, for a while, it was, yeah, you can lose this guy because the next guy's coming. Yeah, you can, you know, it's okay if you don't overpay for Ian Desmond because they were able to acquire Trey Turner, etc. Well, the last one of those that worked was, it's okay if you don't have Harper because you have Soto. Now, who's it okay? Right? There's there's no, you know, the, the key boom hasn't manifested in anything other than, a, you know, a, a project. Victor Robles not only didn't take the next step, but took a giant leaps backwards, it seems like, in terms of, especially when it comes to offense. They just haven't had anything from their system really pan out into an everyday legit contributor. And so the best path was trading away superstar Juan Soto and acquiring other people's work 
That's basically what's – that's the best part of their system now, whether it's Hassel, Gore, uh, Abrams, and, and everybody down the line. So that's 100% right. And the point that Barry makes in, in our interview, which you guys will hear, that I thought was very salient is Mike Rizzo has earned an awful lot of leeway, in my opinion, right, as a really, really good executive, a guy that I think at times has had his hands tied and other times – you know, has has done a lot with maybe not as much. I think he's been very sharp, salient, and 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 overall a very very good GM slash president. Now, this is where they've fallen short. And when he goes, we've done it before. Trust us. You're right. You did do this before. But I'm looking at also the track record from what that you're going to use to tell me to trust you. The last ten years has not been kind when it comes to drafting and developing. It just hasn't. So and that's the path. That's it gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, right. That's the part that makes you scary. And again, this isn't me saying anything other than that about about Rizzo again, who has earned a lot of leeway, benefited out trust, etc. Then you add in this ownership question, which is what you and I are going to talk about here in a moment. How complicated this is. Rizzo said that they've got some clarity on payroll. I think clarity means there's no payroll. Yeah, I think they're very clear on don't that. Don't spend. Yeah, don't spend. By the way, uh, I was watching today as all these contracts are being dolled out. Aaron Judge gets nine and 360 to stay with the Yankees, and we could run through some of the big items if you want. Obviously, the Nats aren't a player in any of these sweepstakes for any of these star players. And we knew that coming into the offseason, so I'm not going to be frustrated by that. You're not going to go splash in free agency and spend a bunch of money when you don't know who your owner is going to be. But they're 24th in payroll right now, according to spot tracks and the projections. And that's with adding in, you know, when guys get arbitration and all of the money that's going to be doled out to players on the 40 man right now, 24th. I mean, you can't be lower than that really. And be a market the size of Washington, DC. In other words, like your teams that don't spend like Pittsburgh, your tiny market teams, they're going to be at the bottom. But for the Nationals to be 24th, I would say that's kind of the floor. It's hard to be lower than that. Although I, I would say thank God for the Strasburg contract and the Corbin contract, <laughs> well, both of which are horrendous. But at least that keeps you from being – I mean, you take those two contracts out, are they dead last in payroll? I think they'd be close. And they don't have a choice. They can't trade Corbin and they can't get rid of Strasburg. But if they could, would they? And would they spend money? Or, or would literally they be like, who's dead last in payroll right now? The Pirates, probably? Uh, athletics. The A's, yeah. They yeah. would be with Oakland and, and and probably Pittsburgh, you know, or whoever else is down there. Yeah, I mean, if you take away that, you know, whatever it is, the I can't do the math in my head, 35 plus 25. Uh, what is that, that would 60? be 60 mil. Yeah, you take away that 60, oh, buddy, you're down there with the, with, with the penny pinchers. And I under, again, I, I, given this bizarre ownership situation, I can kind of understand you've got to keep money off the books. The timing just couldn't be worse when it comes to trying to build some interest again. I mean, listen, they won the World Series in 2019. We're all aware of that. Since then, it's been a disaster. Part of it, their own making. The other part, just sort of bad fortune, bad luck, whatever. 2020 happened. An aging roster underachieved for a 60-game sprint. You know, you sort of chalk that up to a whatever. They didn't think they'd be this bad in 2021. They, they really didn't. They thought, well, we've got guys at the tail end of their primes, but still we have enough. We should be able to compete. And the fact that they were so bad before the trade deadline signaled a, a shift that had to happen. Maybe it happened a year too late if they'd had a full sample of 2020. I don't know. I just know this. Part of it is not their fault. A good plan went bad. The other part is where they've gone all into this Bad baseball, if you're a fan, that's all you've seen. That's all you've watched for three years since well, they, the World they Series. They took their ball and went home. And, and 
then the payroll went down to nothingness. Then you've got this potential ownership change where if you're a new a new owner coming in, you don't want to maybe be saddled with any contracts beyond what you already have to. I understand what's happening. I just know that it stinks. I don't know what's happening. I can say what it looks like. What it looks like is they've checked out. What it, To me, it looks like uh, if you run a restaurant and the restaurant is vacant and and really you're, you're just kind of open in, in name only. You know what I mean? Yes. But like you don't, you're not ordering more food. Like it's, you're a grocery store, and there's the the racks are mostly empty, and you're saying, yeah, you know, whatever's here is what we have. But because you think you're selling, you're not going and getting anything else. Essentially, it's like uh, FedEx Field here in D.C. that everyone always complains about, and everyone goes, how can this stadium be so bad? Well, they don't want to invest and actually fix and change and alter and amend and, and do the things necessary that cost a lot of money because they're moving. If you're selling your house, you know you fix it up enough to sell it, but you're not going to go replace your whole kitchen. You're not going to get your dream islands. You're, you know you're not going to put the countertops you always wanted in right before you sell, are you? They're not going to go spend on Aaron Judge. But but it's it's now we're going on basically two years of this. It feels like, and I don't know if the whole family is in agreement or how this works. It seems to me like Mark Lerner still cares a lot. I told you an anecdote on the show the other day where. I saw him at the ballpark, and I was telling him I'd just seen James Wood in Fredericksburg, and he asked, you know, to see a video I had of him, and was watching it, and seemed like really engaged and interested. He was still at a lot of games down the stretch, so maybe he's in, but others aren't. I mean, I'm speculating; I have no idea. But here's what I know: they don't act like they care a whole lot about the product at this point, and they haven't in a little while, which is really, really hard for a fan to stomach, and it's really, really frustrating. And it is hard to kind of grade the staff and Rizzo and, and Davey and everyone else because you're trying to make chicken salad at, at this point in a situation that's not particularly good. Uh, meanwhile, the Mets, who went and, and got Justin Verlander this week, $43 million a year, 2 and 86 I believe, was the contract. Their collective—let's see what this is called here. Their CBT. So I guess this is their—the um, Mets tax, basically. Their payroll is two hundred ninety-eight million. Two ninety-eight. Again, the Nats are projected to be a, around a hundred mil with those terrible Strauss and, and with Corbin sixty million contracts. in ew, sixty <laughs> percent of it, literally. Uh-huh. So basically, a forty million dollar payroll for the team uh, when you get rid of the, those two guys who may not pitch, or, or in Corbin's case, you know, is going to be ineffective. Um, so the Mets are at two ninety-eight mil after what they've done. And they went and got Jose Quintana after that. So they're over the Steve Cohen tax threshold. This is from Jeff Passan. Every dollar they spend now gets taxed at 90%. Think about that. Every dollar gets taxed at 90% if they were to stop spending today. Their total tax bill would be about $34 million, and they're not going to stop, Jeff Passan said. What a gift to that fan base Steve Cohen is. Which is kind of the dream. You want your own Steve Cohen. You want a guy that isn't going to run this thing like a coffee shop, who's not counting cups, you know, who's not telling you to pour a little bit of all the coffee back into the the the, uh, the coffee maker, so that by the end of the day you've saved eight cups of coffee. Like it's none of that. It's just trying to win a World Series, throwing money at problems, and, and that's not always the way to do it. But man, if it doesn't give you a chance. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Long gone. So just in terms of where the sale stands, this is borderline bizarre. Because one of the examples that we used on, on Grant and Danny was the Angels went from not up for sale and almost done before, you know, and, and they announced that, or there was interest in, or, or the, I guess the potential sale was announced well after the Nationals did. I mean, it was during this course of the season. Yeah, well, the story when we found out that Artie Moreno was selling was, wow, there's another baseball team that might be sold because the Nats were already up for grabs. And now they're, we're hearing, the report yesterday or this week was, that they're going to be sold by opening day. And in the same press conference where Rob Manfred said they're expecting the Angels to be sold by opening day, he was asked for an update on the national sale, and he said there's no timeline. Pretty amazing. No timeline. Now, there's a couple things at play here. Most notably, the Nats sale is so complicated. Second thing that has to be said is, obviously, it's L.A., right? So, I mean, there's going to be maybe more interest just in that market. It's actually Anaheim, but they claim L.A. Um, if you've ever been to an Angels game, you're, you're not in Los Angeles. You're in Anaheim. But that's kind of a strategic thing they do. Uh, and Barry Sferluga's got some thoughts on that when you hear that interview coming up at the end of the pod. But I think most notably for Nats fans, the, the reason this is eyebrow-raising and strange and seems like it's such a mess is... The Masson deal, yes, which has just been the ultimate Achilles heel and the ultimate thorn in the side for years and years and years for a lot of reasons. But the the most likely person to buy this team right now is Ted Leonsis. Ted Leonsis, right? Ted Leonsis is going to buy the team. We know that that's the plan. He owns NBC Sports Washington. That's the TV arm that he's got the Caps and the Wizards, his other teams on. I'm sure he'll put the Mystics and, and whoever else he can put on that channel. I think he wants to put the Nationals on NBCSW, just like the Cubs are on the NBC affiliate and the Giants in the Bay Area. You can't do that with the Masson deal. And so my guess is he's trying to sort out the Masson deal before he buys the team. And if they can't do that, does he still buy the team? I, I have no idea. But you know who doesn't have to deal with any of this is the Angels. Like They're not going through the same problem where the Dodgers own the TV rights and they're the you know the, the little stepchild who has to ask for permission for everything with the TV deal, so isn't that that's a huge thing here? Massive, I, I think it's I think or, it's or the Masson. Thing. Masson, thank you. Massive. I, I or, think there are two prongs here. I think there are two major things. I think the biggest is the Masson deal, and then it affects number two. So because there's no clarity, because there's no end in sight, realistically, the thing that I that needs to happen is Rob Manfred needs to ride in and say, best interest of baseball, and tear the contract up. Knowing that that will lead to, understandable, 
protest litigation from the Orioles and the Angelos estate, whether it's Peter or his children or whoever they end up selling to, by the way. That's another complicated part of this thing. That's the only way this thing gets resolved anytime soon, as I see it. I'm not a legal expert. I've just read what you guys have. The fact is, the language is pretty clear. Hey, when the team comes to Washington, this is how the money is going to get divvied up. And the Orioles have all sorts—not the Orioles specifically. I'm not saying like Mike Elias and the, and the front office is doing this or like, you know, I don't know, uh, a starting pitcher or shortstop is doing this. But the Angelo, at the Angelos level, the accounting practices are basically that, well, a certain percentage of the profits are supposed to go to Washington, right? Well, they look up and they go, look, we have no profits. See, there's no profits. We don't owe you anything. The, any money that they earn goes into escrow for what legal purposes or, or otherwise. So at the end of the day, the, the Nationals are supposed to get whatever teenage percentage it is. It's like 16, 17, 18% of something. Who knows how long it's been. And the Orioles get to keep the rest. But they stand up at the end of the day and go, here, look, we're showing you our work. There's no profit. So you guys don't get any money. And it's an albatross. It's been hanging over the head of this organization forever since its inception. It's a it was a terrible, terrible deal that Bud Selig just did to appease Angelos to allow this uh, you know, the organization uh, of, in Washington to exist. And I don't see the end in sight. No matter what judge slams his gavel, saying, "Okay, this is over." There's always another appeal. There's always something else. So then that affects number two. The learners aren't just going to get out just to get out. They 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 don't. Their patience is longer than yours. They don't care. Again, I've used this story a couple different times, especially on, on, on Grant and Danny. But a very good friend of mine has been part of a company that's done business with them in their private business venture. He hasn't done any national transactions with them. But in the learner construction, building management, et cetera, enterprises, uh, commercial real estate stuff, when his party, talking about my buddy, they're like, okay, we need, we've, we've now got this loan approval. We've got this deal that we're going to put in place. We've got three or four months before we have to start putting shovel into the ground because our, we need to start making money within a couple of years, et cetera, et cetera. The learners just took their time. Every time there was a, hey, you have legally seven days to send something back, they sent it at six days, 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 41 seconds. Oh, right? Every fax would go back. They knew that the more pressure and time they applied – the more willing to negotiate and deal my buddy's company was. That's what they do. They win negotiations. They win deals. And that's how they've done it. How they do it, in that business, you wouldn't think matters, but how the learners do it has been the cloud or uh, kind of reputation of them in baseball since they took over. How they do it is not how baseball does it. So people, if you want to deal with the learners, you've got to deal with it how they like it done. That's complicated. That kills deals. That has uh, you know moves in place where Bryce Harper's getting sent to Houston for a minor league catcher that never happens because that's not how the learners do it. Bud Black wants to be the manager. They want him to be the manager. They offer him a contract that you'd offer a, a, a mid, mid-level college coach. That's how they do it. It's not how he does it. How they do it matters. And so I see them in this situation saying, we believe the value is X. Because once you get mass and resolved, et cetera, et cetera, a person coming in and buying it goes, well, there's no way it gets resolved, so the value is not X. And they're going, yeah, it is. And they'll wait forever. They'll wait forever. They'll wait through off-season after off-season of nothingness, no yeah, payroll, no anything. Yeah, this is something we talked about on the pod. I mean, I brought up the, the uh, example of naming rights for the stadium where you know we were told, and, and I think a lot of us knew at one point in time, they were trying to get the naming rights for the Nats Park sold, and they couldn't get the number they wanted. So rather than just taking 75, 80 cents on the dollar, they said, okay, it's Nationals Park. So I think a lot of people, Danny, would go, man, 75 cents sounds good because it's not. It's millions, right? right. For the, <laughs> but for the learners, they said, nope, it's worth 
a dollar. We're not going to take 75 cents. And someone might say, yeah, but it's it's 75 cents you don't have. And they said, yep, we're, until we get a dollar, we're just going to keep it what it is. So it's still Nationals Park. And, and you could make the case they could do the same thing with the ball club, I assume. But, you know, I hate to say it this way because I, I, you know, people are so negative now about the learners and, and the experience and they want a World Series. They are instrumental in making baseball important in D.C. again. I don't know if it's fair to say that bringing baseball back to D.C. was their doing. I'm not sure that it was. But instrumental in in baseball becoming a power in this city again, and they did it the right way for many years. And they did spend on Scherzer and and Strauss and so many key players over the years that that helped put them over the top. It has gotten ugly, though. And in fact, Sverluga, and we're going to play the interview, as I mentioned, at the end of this pod, but he wrote about this, and I was texting with him a, a couple of days ago, you know, when I guess he had it's written this because um, he had said it was be coming out in the paper. My point is, what a terrible several years this has been for Nats fans. Go back to the 2019 World Series. Since that championship parade, when you and I are, are on floats, you know, catching beers and fans and listeners are, are uh, screaming about Juan Soto. Soto's in San Diego. Scherzer's a, a met by way of the Dodgers. Trey Turner is now a Philly in the division, 11 years and $130 million, and you traded him to L.A. first. Uh, Rendon is an angel. Strasburg's contract has been a disaster, and he's quite literally kind of fallen apart physically. Uh, Corbin has nosedove like, a, like an airplane into the ground. Um, Zimmerman's retired. Yeah, uh, I mean, that Sean, was coming. Yeah, yeah, Sean Doolittle is rehabbing yet another injury. His arm fell Non-roster invitee. Yeah, I mean, you, you go through the list of all the it, contributors. I don't remember this disastrous a, a fall-off. I don't think it's happened. I mean, it... it like Even the Marlins, when they sold everybody. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like, by design, you could sell everyone, and it wasn't this bad, because you're getting some things back. This has been a clinic on how to blow up a good thing. You know, it... it yeah. And I'm not blaming any one of these moves. Like, any move in a vacuum, you can explain away. Turner going to the Phillies is not that big of a deal. It hap- That kind of thing happens. Harper walking, you know, you had Soto. Or, but if even, you know, Robles completely being a disappointment. His best baseball was played that World Series year. He's stunk since. Carter Keboom has not developed or become the prospect you were supposed to. Cole Henry, who we have on the podcast, who, by the way, I caught up with, texted with this week. He's feeling really good. Just started throwing a baseball again um, indoors. So cool. Hoping for the best for him. But, like, he was one of your top pitching prospects on the way. He had to get thoracic outlet surgery. I mean, they're basically batting a 1,000 on everything that could go wrong going wrong. It's amazing, Danny. Really is uncanny. How terrible this has been since... 2020, the pandemic. And we didn't know in 2020. Because, again, that 60-game sprint, everything was weird. Juan Soto was riding a— When we didn't a, get to celebrate the World Series, Well, yeah, I mean, which was just you know a, a gut punch. Juan Soto's you know, riding on a stationary bike at home for the first, whatever it was, 10 games, a, a quarter of the season because he had a COVID diagnosis. Who knows if it was a real te- positive test or otherwise, whatever. And they didn't play very well. Well, we go, well, they didn't play very well at the start of 2019, and look how that worked out. You know, what are you going to do? We won the World Series last year, no problem. 2021, they thought they were going to be pretty good again. And it was a disaster. It was that, to me, was the, we didn't realize how bad this has gotten, right? A small sample of Patrick Corbin in 2020, yeah, well, we'll be fine. Well, Strasburg isn't irrevocably damaged. He'll be fine. Um, you know, you, you could go down the list, right? 
it's it's almost impossible for it to have happened the way that it has. Every, everything that could have gone good didn't. And now you're here. All right, let's run through some of the big transactions real quick of the winter meetings before we uh, play the Barry's Verluga conversation with people. Kenley Jansen and the Red Sox just agreed to a two-year, $32 million deal. I'm glad to get him out of the NL East in Atlanta, where he pitched well for the Braves. Kenley's had more more lives than a cat, man. Every time you think he's starting to fall off, he bounces back. Just mid-90s cutters. Seems like uh, it's still pretty effective. Mets not done. I just mentioned this. Left-hander Jose Quintana to the rotation. Two years, 26 mil. I thought that was kind of the pool the Nats would be swimming in, to be honest. I like it for the Mets as a back-of-the-rotation guy. But 2-26 and 26 for a starter feels about National Z for, for the veterans they're looking at. But I bet they spend way less than that. Uh, based on what we've seen so far or haven't seen. Aaron Judge stays with the Yankees, 9-360. and 360. John Heyman tried to send Arson Judge to San Francisco, and it didn't work out. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> he did. That's really funny. He reported that Arson Judge was going to the Giants yesterday. That then, was that was the bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew they were. You didn't they were, see that? No, I did see it. Oh, okay. well, I, well, I didn't see officially like that it was happening. The biggest story in sports right now is that he, he tweeted, Arson Judge to the Giants. Then he corrected it, Aaron Judge to Giants. And then 10 minutes later, he's like, Giants haven't heard from Judge. Never mind. And now he's a Yankee. That's pretty good. That's tough. I, did, I didn't catch all the follow-up tweets. Cubs are in agreement with Jamison Tyon, four years and $68 million. By the way, the Cubs have gone and gotten Bellinger, one in 17 and a half, which I would have done if I was in that. And then they signed Tyon for almost 70. That's a team that you know, hasn't been competitive, that basically was selling off or in their case, didn't sell off at the deadline last year. Yeah, looking to reset a little bit. What a, what a great one-year flyer. Good for everybody. Phillies, who brought in Trey Turner at 11-300, and 300, a massive deal, way, 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 way bigger than what the Nats offered him, said you know, they couldn't go deep into his 30s. Well, the Phillies just went till he's 40 with a contract. Then they went and got Taiwan Walker, former Met, uh, the contract four years and $72 million. Uh, they also brought in Matt Strom, a left-handed reliever, who they gave a $15 million contract to. Phillies won 80-plus games last year. Now they're trying to win 90-plus. They want to be right back in there. I mean, they are a, a who's who. What is, what's the total count? Is it six guys making more than 20 for them now? Is it more Ooh, than that? That sounds Seven? right. Huge, huge yeah. payroll. Giants had Mitch Haniger. San Francisco missed out on Judge. Three years, $43 million. Haniger, the former Mariners, got big-time power. Uh, I mentioned Cody Bellinger to the Cubs. One in 17 and a half, betting on himself. Rangers left-handed starter Andrew Heaney, two years and 25 mil. Another thing that I thought maybe would be in the Nats mix, but I guess not. Uh, first baseman Josh Bell. You've heard of him. I know JB. Josh Bell to the Cleveland Guardians, former national. We couldn't have given Josh Bell 16 million bucks to come back? Yeah, that's the one that, that ones like that sting. Because I understand if a guy gets you know, blows you out of the water where he's, where he's getting 25, 26, you go, okay, fare thee well. That was great to have you here. That one, that's not breaking the bank. It's not. Right? That's that's you that's good value for good production. But at least you get to watch Turner and Schwarber and Harper and Philly and Scherzer with the Mets. It's gonna be a lot of fun. At <laughs> least set. Juan Soto's still out west. Speaking of which, it has been a rough few years for you guys as Nats fans. We talked to Barry's Feluga about that on Grant and Danny. See you later. Our guy Barry's Feluga, you gotta check out the column he wrote. The day on the Washington Nationals on just how brutal it has been to be a fan of this ball club over the last few years post-World Series. And, Barry, I want to get to your column, and we will do that. But a couple things to tend to first. Number one, this update today that it sounds like the Angels are going to be sold in the next month plus. It's imminent. And the Nationals, there's still no timeline. What gives there? 
Well, I mean, I think that the Nationals are, to my knowledge at least, narrowed in on on one suitor, and that's you know someone who we all know and are familiar with, and in, in Ted Leonsis and whatever group he's assembled. I thought there was significant um, news on that front within the last couple of weeks, in which he brought a new billionaire investor um, by the name of Jeff Skoll into his monumental group. I do not know, but I have to assume that that will help in his financial bid to, to buy the nationals. But I mean, I do not want to go over the minutia of what holds this up because we do it all the time, but this is a more complicated sale because of the mass and issue. Um, I was told this week that maybe there's a possibility that the sale could go through without Masson being resolved. That's to say that, that Ted Leonsis would buy the team and not have his um, own media rights yet, uh, that he would try to work on that with either the Angelos's or if the Angelos's sell the Orioles, whoever, whoever buys them. But it's simply a more complicated process because, because of that. I also think that um, it's possible, I don't know who's buying the Angels, but um, it, it's possible that that market is attractive to Far East investors because it's so much closer. I mean, that's why Shohei Tani is playing in, in Anaheim because it was easier for him to get back home to Japan. There, there could be that kind of factor there too. So Barry, I, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine who has dealt in, in his business with the learners in their business, not in baseball stuff, but in terms of their commercial real estate and development stuff. And, and his point was they're amazing and excellent at winning. They win negotiations. They do things their way. It's on their timetable. So even if you've got to hurry up, they're they're all the time they're negotiating and you know they know that they've got time on their side or whatever advantage they have to press they press it and he goes that's what it looks like to me from the outside looking in and, and i want your thoughts on that my sense is they're not getting the number they want whether it's the masson deal or something else and they're just not going to ever drop the offer or or the asking price by fifteen twenty thousand dollars like the rest of us would have to do if we were selling our house or whatever you know it just it seems like they are in no hurry and it's their own timetable or none at all that's absolutely right, Danny. And I think it's on a lot of aspects of this. Um, and I'll, I'll use the naming rights for the stadium and for the ballpark as, as an example. Um, what is this ballpark called? A ballpark that opened in 2008 and is now 14 years old. It is Nationals Park. Why is it Nationals Park? Because the Lerner family decided that in order to sell naming rights, um, those naming rights were going to be worth X. They preferred taking zero overtaking X minus Y. They did not want to take something that was less than their terms. You can call them crazy on that because you would think that if you had had naming rights for the stadium, some sort of revenue stream that does not exist right now, they would have pick a number of millions of dollars more than they have at the moment. But this is the way that, that they operate. So apply that to the sale of the team. If they have a number in mind, I don't know that they have a number in mind, but if they do, and that is, say, pull something from thin air, $2 billion, um, and they are being offered $1.9, they'll say, that is a really interesting offer. How about two? Two would be better than 1.9. You know what would be better than uh, 1.95? Two. How's two for you? So <laughs> that, that it just is, it applies to the way that they operate, and it does leave that wiggle room for Maybe they just say, you know what? We said from the beginning we were going to explore a sale. 
we find ourselves revitalized and reinvigorated, and we're going to keep it, and here's what we're going to do going forward. I don't think that's what's going to happen going forward, but there's a non-zero chance of that for sure. Draft lotteries tonight. This could be a nice little shot in the arm, and we're going to get to your column in a second, but it has been a really tough walk through the desert here for fans of this team for the last few years. This could be finding a, a, a water pail. It would be awesome if they got the first pick. I, I've been tweeting about this today. I, I really hate this lottery for the record. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I, I don't have a problem with rebuilding like everyone else did. They call it tanking. A lot of teams do it, and it works, and you should be able to build how you want to. But I digress. The Nats, if they get the fifth pick tonight, can't pick in the top six next year. So this could also be kind of a disastrous night in some ways as well. But uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, my thoughts are, like, this is a terrible year for it to be implemented for the Nats because, you know, the last two times they had 1-1, they took Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper, and that worked out to be the foundation of, of their rebuild for sure. Um, so I agree with you that uh, it's kind of silly that they have, you know, they lost 107 games um, and they only have a, whatever it is, 17% chance of, of getting um, the top pick in the draft. That's kind of, that's kind of silly, but I don't want to get into the whole tanking um, thing because I think there's a more important element at play here. <clears throat> the year after they took Harper, um, they had the sixth pick in the draft. They took Anthony Rendon, uh, which worked out swimmingly for them. Um, they milked him for, you know, until the seventh game of the 2019 World Series, in which he hit an enormous home run um, off, off of uh, Frank Frankie. So <clears throat> since then, and now it's more than a decade, they have not drafted and developed players. And, and player development can point at the scouts, and the scouts can point at player development, and I'm not 100% sure who's to blame, they don't have hits. They just don't have hits. You watch the Braves, and they've got, you know, Spencer Strider in the fourth round and Michael Harris in the third round, um, and, and players that are cheap, controllable, foundational pieces of a contender that, um, that they can fill in with expensive stuff around them. The Nationals, now for going on a decade – have not done that. Um, maybe there's bad luck involved. You know, they did use Lucas Giolito in a, in a trade to get Adam Eaton, who was the right fielder on a, a championship team. So there's little uh, caveats along the way. But by and large, this has been a player development and, and drafting failure for a long time, which it, the problem with that is Mike Rizzo is asking you to buy into we've done this before, and that is 1,000% true. They have done it before. There's a decade-long space there that would give a reasonable person pause to say, can, can you really just do it again automatically because you're saying to? You're going to? I, I'm, it's going to be really fascinating going forward. Bears for Luga, Washington Post with us here on Grant and Danny. So, Bear, the other key crux of your column is watching these stars leave, get paid a billion dollars elsewhere. You know, some you know traded, whether it was Scherzer and, and Turner, or others you know let walk away. And I think the best, most salient point you made, and I'd love for you to expound on this, and I think it's right on, is each individual decision can absolutely be justified, explained, and you know it isn't a disaster in and of itself. The totality of it is really tough to stomach, especially given the backdrop of the point that you just made about the, the, the reinforcements not being on the way from the minor leagues. Yeah, Danny, and I think it's like 
you know, it's kind of weird to write a like, wow, Trey Turner uh, signed with the Phillies column and that's terrible for the Nationals on a day when like I didn't wake up. I knew when I woke up this morning that Trey Turner was not signing with the Nationals. Like that's not where they are in their development. It doesn't make sense for them. They have a piece that they think is part of their core going forward in C.J. Abrams, part of the Soto deal. But there is it, at some point you're bludgeoned with this stuff. Um, and if it goes back to Harper and all the deferrals and were they wishy-washy in those negotiations with a guy who really wanted to stay, and do you understand that Rendon never seemed to fully buy into the whole scene here and um, and that Soto was probably going to go to free agency and that Scherzer and Turner as a package in a season that had gone awry and Strasburg couldn't pitch? like you break all those down and I understand them all. I totally understand them all in totality. It's an organizational failure to make the fan base feel like, you know, as Mike Rizzo said, like, wow. I mean, I think what this says is we've had a lot of talent come through here. You've had it come through here. It has not anchored here. Um, You can fault the current construction of the Washington capitals and say it's too old a core and, you know, Ovi Backstrom can't play and Ovi, obviously in the twilight of his career, but there is some sense of warm feeling that like they won a cup, they did it together. They suffered the disappointments. The fan base went through it with eight and 19. And then later, you know, Oshie and Kuznet, the whole group and their capitals, you, you identify with them. This now feels like a revolving door where what's the, what's the guarantee that, if C.J. Abrams is the next guy, if Mackenzie Gore is the next guy in the rotation, if Cade Cavalli breaks out and, and um, becomes a star, that he's not just watching his clock tick for six years of service time to get to free agency and go somewhere else, that it's really hard to stomach when you look at the big picture. You couldn't have kept all of these guys. Of course you couldn't. You can't afford to do that. you got to believe you could have kept a couple of them. Well, it just hits so much for me, home when he signed that contract yesterday, Barry, for a lot of reasons. But this is one of those kind of you got to know to know things, right? If you don't get it, you don't get it kind of deals where like you live in D.C., you go to the park a lot. It's not a fun place to be anymore right now. I mean, I went to probably 40 games and maybe 30 some games last year just because we're here. We're, you know, a couple blocks away and I get off when the game starts. And so I went to a million games, and after the trade deadline, it was not fun. I mean, no, people don't have fun at the game. And you think back to 19 and the wild card and the NLCS and the World Series games, and you just think about the difference between 19 and now. Soto in San Diego, and then Scherzer with the Mets. Obviously, Bryce was already gone, but him with the Phillies, with Schwarber, who's since been here and gave him their one huge month a year ago. Uh, Josh Bell getting the Guardians contract, who people fell in love with. It was great at the Nats Academy. And and Trey Turner, and, and you go through the whole thing, Rendon, what's happened with Strasburg, what's happened with Patrick Corbin. Like, I, I don't think there's been anything quite like this. I mean, it is almost a, a 1,000 batting average on disasters, essentially, since the World Series. Am I overstating yeah. this? I mean, it is, it's really bleak. No, you're not. And, 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 you know, filter down further, like, you know, Carter Keeboom didn't work out. He's, he's broken. Cole Henry is supposed to be um, part of that future. And that's why it's, I think the, the cavalierly saying we've done this before, we can do it again and pinning it around there. Are, as you know, Grant, you've also been to Fredericksburg. You've seen 
Woods and some of these guys that you're like, oh, wow, I could see how that would work out. Um, it, it, it doesn't guarantee anything. I do think, and I have pitched this before, um, that there, when and if these guys get to the big leagues and you can start to discover hey, Ian Desmond is my shortstop of the future. Oh, I'm sorry, it's C.J. Abrams is my shortstop. I like watching him get better at X, Y, and Z. And, oh, Mackenzie Gore is starting tonight. I, I want to see him pitch into the seventh inning tonight. He hasn't done that, even though he struck out 10 and only walked one in five and two-thirds of the last time. Like, there, there can be joy in discovering and then riding along with, with that group and then having it because they will be – young, controllable, cheap players filled in with, you know, what, whoever the Jason Worth contract is or the next Scherzer contract is. Like, that's a possibility, but it's a hard sell on the day after Trey Turner, who was beloved here, who didn't want to be traded away, who was probably Mike Rizzo's best transaction ever in a, in a decade-long stretch when he had a lot of really good transactions. Like, that trade is ridiculous. You get J- Joe Ross and and Trey Turner for, for Steven Souza Jr. Um, it's hard to sell that vision in the moment, even if you believe in that vision. And, and I'm just saying believing in that vision is, is harder because it's not pinned on a group of 30 players, 30 really solid players that you feel like if eight of these guys become our core, um, then that's going to be great. It's, it's really a tighter group than that, less than 10, um, that has to have a very high percentage of hits to mean that the, 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 new, the next core is already in the system. Very terrific as always, buddy. Great column, and, and thanks for the time today. Appreciate you guys always. Thanks, thanks Barry. That'll do it for Bustin' Loose Baseball when big news breaks relevant to the Nats. We will break it down for you right here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. For Danny, I'm Grant saying so long. Thanks to producer Darris. We're back at it soon. Maybe the Nats will do something. That'd be cool. We got to do an emergency pod on Stone Garrett. That's who they signed. That's the. Anyway, rate, review, subscribe.